Greg. Lacey. Jewel. Tim. Does that sound familiar to anyone? What does that sound like? Roll call. Roll call, school roll call. You guys remember that? So you remember what it's like to be in that classroom and then your name gets called out and it's like, here, yeah, present, yo. You know, you always have the funny ones that like do something ridiculous. <laughs> Josiah. Oh, yes, he's the polite one. In Nehemiah chapter 7, the people were just counted. It says in verse 4 and 5, the city was wide and large, and the people in it were few. We talked about this last week. It says their houses were not yet built, and my God put it into my mind, this is Nehemiah, and heart, to assemble the nobles, officers, and the people that they might be counted. Nehemiah felt the importance to count every one person. They were few, but they were counted because every one mattered. I'm here, present, hey. <laughs> Chapter 7 ends with the completion of this counting, but then there's chapter eight, and we all know that chapter eight, that number eight is the number of new beginnings. See, it is imperative that when there is an ending or a closing of one chapter in our lives, that we are able and willing to move forward onto the next. Here in Nehemiah, it had been a tough season. There was chaos, there was attack, there was an assembly, there was exile, there was lean times, there were rubble, there were runes. We know it. But now it was complete. There was building. The walls were complete. And a new time was upon them. And when the new comes, it comes with great expectation. Expectation of greatness positions us to be ready to step into new levels of God-ordained places. The beginning of chapter 8 brings us to this point. Nehemiah 8 verse 1 says, All the people gathered as one man at the open square in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. They assemble at the water gate. What does this water gate, what does a water gate represent anyway? A water gate is a gate for halting or controlling flow of water in a water course. It's a floodgate. It's a gateway leading into the edge of a body of water as is a landing. So, And, and we know that the, the Bible it talks about in, in the scripture, it talks about washing our minds and our lives with the washing of the word, a cleansing of the word over our lives. The word is our life source. A powerful placement this is for the people to gather to be read the scriptures of the book of law, the law of Moses. All the people, they gathered as one man. Every one as one. In the city, see the city began to take formation with its walls. And as the city formed, the people gathered. Interesting. You know, if we build it, they will come. 
It like happened right here. And there were several changes that began to take place as the city formed and the people gathered to hear the reading of the word. It became a place of unity. It says they met in front of the water gate and asked Ezra, the priest or the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses. That's the words that God himself had given them. So Ezra brought it on the first day of the seventh month. The completion of the wall was done. Now launch them into this new season of possibility. There's a new season of hope, of growth, of anticipation of what God is about to do. They built together, and now they're moving forward together. So they're gathering as one. Ezra reads it. He begins reading the scripture. It says in verse 2 and verse 3 that the people, as he read, gave their full attention. They quieted themselves and leaned into the understanding of these scriptures. It became a place of peace. He started in the morning, if you read, and it says he went right up until lunchtime. I'm not even kidding you. After about 20 minutes of hearing myself speak, I'm like done. <laughs> that is not even a joke. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I still talking? Like, if I'm not doing okay with this, how are they doing? You know, I think about this all the time. He began in the morning and went till noon, and the people stayed. He stood on a wooden pulpit that they made for him just for this time. <laughs> and then he had men standing on his right, and then he had men standing on his left. And it says that as he opened the book and began to read, that all the people stood up. It became a place of honor. Ezra would begin by blessing the Lord, by bringing worship to his name, by praising him. And then the people, as Ezra did, they begin to join in. Amen. Yes. And they begin to, to gather, lifting their hands. It says bowing their heads and worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground as he led them. It became a place of reverence. Just think about this. This is just happening. They're not like, you need to be honorable, you need to worship, you need to have reverence, you need to be. It's, he's reading the scripture. They had just built this, these walls together. They gather, and it's just like, it's just happening. That's a beautiful thing. The Levites begin to help the people understand the law. This was kind of like Ezra's support staff. They're like, oh, he's reading these things. Some of the words are complicated. We're just going to help them understand it a little bit. We'll unpack it a little more. In verse 7, it says, And the people remained in their place. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor and also the, the kind of mastermind behind the whole thing here, Ezra the priest or scribe, and then all the Levites together said, Hey, he said to the congregation, This is a holy day. But it's not a sad day. Because what was happening, if you read in the scripture, is that as they heard, the, the book of the law, they begin to get sad and they begin to weep because of the heaviness of the weight of the word and maybe some things that they had missed, some misfires in their life or things that they had maybe not done up to living up to the mark, the, the, the wrongdoings in their life. And it's, they begin to weep. But the leaders are like, hey, I get it. Like, I understand 
But it's not a day to grieve anymore. Instead, it's a day to celebrate. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength and he is with us. And look at the great thing that he has done in us, through us, and for us. It's a time to celebrate. It became a place of celebration. They're like, really, guys? It's okay. Shake off the feelings of mourning, of guilt, of mistakes, of wrong choices in your life, maybe of pathways that you never should have taken or, or just bad situations, and rejoice that it's a new day and we turn the corner. Verse 12 says the people heard their leaders and they trusted their words. <laughs> So they're like, okay, let's rejoice, let's eat, let's drink, let's party. This was the first day of the seventh month. All this happened. <laughs> it's a lot to happen on one day. The second day, the men, this is the head of the households, all together with the priests and the Levites, gathered to Ezra. Again, to study and gain understanding of the instruction of the Lord. It became a place of hunger. They did it. It wasn't just like one and done. They didn't just get together one day. Well, this was really, really cool. It was like a marathon. It was like a conference. You know, we're like, we're going to go. We're going to get three days strong and hard. And then we're just going to kind of go back to the way things were. They're like, let's just do this again and again and again and again. Because there was a hunger. There was a hunger. See, something happened yesterday that maybe... Now I have this realization that I have been missing out on this aspect in my life. See, how many know that you don't know what you don't have till you do it and then you have it and you're like, oh, that's what I was missing out on? We don't even realize it, but then you get a taste of it and you're like, this is good and this is necessary. It caused a determination within the fathers the head of the households, to do things better, to do things right, to change, to do things God's way. And then as they listened to the scripture that day, there came a part where there was something that was said that they were like, oh, no, we need to fix this. And I love this. That we haven't been doing this one thing, and we feel like it's really important to implement this right now, and we're maybe a day late and a dollar short, so to speak, but we're going to get it in right now. Don't you hate when you miss out on something? Will you, like, miss something? You're like, ah, oh, I missed that. It could be maybe you're, like, building something. You're like, ah, oh, I missed that. How many uh, read the instructions? <laughs> Only Craig. No, anybody else read the instruction? Okay, yeah, there's a few people. Okay, I'm kind of like, I feel like I got it. You know, I'm like, like I can intuitively put this together. You know, uh, Craig is big on instructions, and because I value that in him, I, I don't necessarily see the value for me personally, but I value that in him. When I am with my children, I do encourage them to read the instructions. Um, you know, but it's up to them if they want to or not. But I just encourage it, you know, balance it all out. But uh, when you miss something and then you're at the end and you're like, oh, man, like the shelf's like this or there's extra pieces and they weren't supposed to be uh, in there. Or even uh, how about a text message with a really important text message and you're like, oh, I missed that. Mm -hmm. 
awkward, you know, and it's much, much later in the day or like three days later. You know who you are. <laughs> they missed something. And then when they heard Ezra read it out, they were like, we need to fix this. We, and this is what it was. This is what it was. It's kind of funny. We're supposed to be living in booths during the feast of the seventh month. You're like, okay. They're like, how did we not know this, that we're supposed to be in booths? You know, we're not supposed to be in our houses. We're supposed to be in booths. We're supposed to make the booths and live in them. So, see, this is what happens. When you're gathered as one and you begin to take formation that, that we were designed to do, that you're designed to do, you start to operate under a kingdom mindset and principles that you weren't yet operating under, okay? And you begin to activate them in your life. Once you activate them and begin to live under these principles and in this way, like we talked about unity, peace, and honor, and reverence, all those things, we desire at that point now to do everything that we were meant to do and be everything that we were meant to be because we're now activated a new way of living something that we hadn't yet come un under before. This will push us into greater levels of understanding of kingdom principles and greater revelation. Greater revelation expands our knowledge of God and of his kingdom. And then we get more hungry for it than before. We're responsible for what we know. You don't know what you don't know. And you're not responsible for what you don't know. But we are responsible to live at our level of revelation. So when you have understanding and revelation of something new that you didn't have before, you are now responsible for that level of revelation. Whereas before, ignorance was bliss. It's not anymore. Potentially now, the ignorance that you once had that was bliss is now stress. <laughs> Because you're like, now I need to live this level of revelation that I didn't know before. And it calls you to a greater capacity and a, a greater depth in your life with people, with, with Jesus. This can come into effect in a lot of ways. It can be through scripture. It can be through discipleship. It can be through a prophetic word. You suddenly get a prophetic word and now it just launched you into something. And now if you don't act on that, it's, it's now disobedience, whereas before it was bliss, because <laughs> ignorance is bliss. There's times and seasons in our lives, and we must recognize the times and the seasons. So here they are. They're stepping into the new. They're launching into greater revelation. They're sitting under the scribe. They're hearing the word. And now they desire to live within those lines because they didn't know it before. So what do they do? Well, they told everyone, we need to make the booths, guys. <laughs> it's time. So they made a big announcement that now we're going to go and make these booths. Obedience was key here. So all the people were like, yeah, okay, we hear you. Let's do it. You know, because remember, they were all together as one. They were all in unity here. So they go to gather the necessary items to build. This is they got branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. And they made the booths. It, it, it makes it sound so simple, but come on. Like, they had to go gather all these. They had to rally the people. They had to collect the items. They had to bring them back. They had to put like to them together with items. I don't know how they make booths. I'm sure I could figure it out, though. And then 
They put the booths on the roofs of their houses. I don't even understand that. But anyway, in their courts, in the courts of the church, and in the squares of the gates. They put them everywhere. There's just like booths everywhere, you know. It's, it's like a, a carnival with the games everywhere. It's just like games. There's booths everywhere. And all the people did it, and all the people lived in them, it said. And they felt good about doing something that they were supposed to be doing in alignment with God's law. This was the first time, it says, since the days of Joshua that this had been done. It's a big moment. Realigning ourselves to the purposes of God, the purposes of God always postures us for promotion. But it's not a walk in the park. I'm sure gathering all these trees, the certain trees, all the items that we're going to put the boots together was difficult. I don't know if you've ever done landscaping at all, but it's like not great. It's hard work. It's hot sun. And then they're, so they're cutting down all these things and they're gathering them. If you work outside at all, you know, it's, it can be hard work. And then the rallying of the people, like I mentioned, convincing them maybe that this is a good idea. It could have been a struggle. I know they were in unity, but it, just because you're in unity doesn't mean you're not going to have that person or those people that are like, oh, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm angry. You know, all these things. I can hear it. If you've ever been in a place where you're in leadership and you have to bring change, you know how difficult it can be. Well, we've always done it this way. We've never lived in booths before. I haven't heard about that since Joshua. <laughs> but we kind of have plans. Um, I pulled a muscle carrying the water jug already today. I don't have the tools. Um, my kids, they're crazy. They're crazy. My kids are crazy. I can't do it with crazy kids, you know. Um, I don't see why this suddenly matters because it didn't matter yesterday and why it matters today. And we've been pretty good handling ourselves without it. Um, wait, you're telling me I have to move out of my house and live in a booth? For how long? Do you know how big my family is? Seven days? Have you lived with my kids? They're too crazy. They don't actually even sleep well because I have babies and they're up all night and this is going to wake everybody. You know, you can hear it over. You can hear all the little things or the, you know. Obedience can be hard work, but disobedience costs more. Willingness to change when things are good, when things are bad, and when things are indifferent is always necessary. Day by day, Ezra would read from the book of the law while the people listened, every word. You know, when, when something has been done for so long one way, it really is hard to change. And you know that even in your family or your work situation, even at a job, if, if, if there's changes coming in with your managers or bosses or even just like um, coworkers, you know how difficult that can be sometimes. Change of personality, leadership styles, things like that. It's hard to change. I recently heard that it's not change that people don't like. You know how everyone says people don't like change? For the most part, it's, it's kind of a thing that we've often heard. But I recently heard that it's not the change that people don't like. It's the fear of the change being worse than what was. If we were all certain that the change would be better, we would all love change. This made a lot of sense to me because I love change, and I've always thought I'm a little strange. 
because nobody likes change. And I really do. And then I thought, why? Well, not nobody, but like fewer people like change than, than don't. It's because I always assume it's going to be better. <laughs> now, clearly, I can't always be right because it's not always better. Sometimes change, you know, it goes in a, a difficult, you know, direction. But I always assume, oh, this will be great. Oh, this will be great. Oh, yeah. What can go wrong? It'll be great. And it's kind of like my outlook. So that's why I've always embraced change. But it's the fear of the potential lesser outcome of change that people don't like. Well, whether we like change or fear the outcome of change, we are all required to adapt to new things. Because if we don't, life will not be easy. Life will not be easy. People who resist that adaptation get stuck. And you know, I mean, sometimes you've probably, like, I've been there where I've resisted something and now I'm stuck, you know, or, or, or now I'm in fear of what could be. Or, or, or you, you find yourself complaining more than average, you know, or, or now you're like, gosh, I used to look at other people as problem people, but I think I'm the problem person, <laughs> you know, things like that when we, like, self-reflect. Change is imperative. Therefore, to embrace change is something we really have to work on, regardless of if it's good times, bad times, or indifferent times. We adapt and learn to embrace change by cultivating and maintaining a teachable spirit. We all have responsibility towards adaptability through teachable, teachability. So how do we become responsible and how do we become adaptable by being teachable? Because we don't know what we don't know. One who is not teachable will never be adaptable. One who doesn't welcome adaptability may not be given much responsibility. I feel like it's just so important that we as a body of Christ globally even are a people willing to grow, a people willing to change and move with what God is doing, whether it's this way, whether it's that way, whether it's, you know, we, we change today and then tomorrow there's a new change again, that that's okay because it's not always going to be the way it was. And to be stuck in the past or frozen in the present without a desire to or an ability even to adapt is to be trapped in a former mindset that potentially is no longer effective or beneficial. I kind of think that a resolve to be better is always a healthy objective. <laughs> and a unified church with a desire for change will always move forward. Here in Nehemiah, the crisis of the situation had moved them to action. The building of the wall now brought them together, and the teaching of the ways of God realigned them to their purpose and their destiny. God's people, they were exiled, brought to ruins, now rejoined together, now restored together. And I'm going to end with this this morning. And these are some questions for you to think about, for me to think about, to take home with you today. Number one, what 
has been brought to ruins in my life that God is wanting to restore? What has been brought to ruins in my life that God is wanting to restore? Second question. How can I adjust my heart to ensure I am coming into alignment with his? Third question. What has God placed in my life that I should learn from? Or who has God placed in my life that I should learn from? If, you, if you're like, I don't know if there's anyone, just look around the room and pick, pick someone. I heard a great speaker say one time that we can learn something from every one person on this planet. There is not one person on this planet that we can't learn something from. Since I heard that man say that, Every time I meet a stranger or I, you know, just kind of someone I don't know, someone I do know, I'm always like, what do they have in them that I don't have in me that I can learn from them? Who has God placed in my life that I could learn from? And the last question, <laughs> this might be the hardest one, am I the problem that needs to change? I feel like if we could take these questions home and really reflect on them, that God can really do something deep in our hearts to restore things that have been lost, to bring alignment with his heart, to open our eyes to the people around us, and to maybe just to do some self-analysis, that maybe there's something today that I can do in my life that could make this church, this city, this country a better place. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we pray. I'm gonna I'm gonna close out, but I'm gonna in prayer and, and you are released to go this morning. I hope you have wonderful plans with your family today or friends or or maybe you're like, no, I'm just like chilling and eating snacks on the couch and watching TV, which is <laughs> no judgment here. That sounds good. But I do want to provide an opportunity. If you are here this morning and you're, you need prayer, like one-on-one -on -one ministry, if you need a healing uh, in your body or in just uh, anything personal, anything like that, and you would like prayer, um, we want to provide that for you. So if, if that's you, I want you at the end when I close out, you can just come forward and we will meet you down here. Um, but for the rest of you, God bless and we love you. I'm going to pray you out. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this July 4th weekend. I thank you for what you have given us. And, and though there, there, I know there's a lot of things in our country that we can be upset about. There is, there is good things that we can celebrate. And you have done great things in the midst of rubble. You have done great things in the midst of ruin and complication and struggle and pain. So we thank you for our independence. We thank you for our freedom. We thank you for the goodness of our country. And I play, pray your blessing on America. God bless America. God bless our nation. I pray for our church family that's here, that's watching this morning. 
I pray for the lives represented on and on and on, not just in our own families, but our relatives that are all across the, the world even, the extension of our, our relatives and our family. I pray, Father, that you would intervene on their behalf. That if there are areas that have been brought to ruins in our lives, that you would show us and show us that you're at work in rebuilding them. Show us how we can partner with you to rebuild the ruins. I ask that you would help us how to realign with your heart. That you would show us the adjustments that need to be made so that we can come back under your covering. And I ask, even in this moment right now, that you would reveal one or two people that we can lean into to learn from. And even as we're going about our day and our week, that as we see people in the grocery store, on the street, in our workplaces, wherever, that you would highlight them if there's something we have to give them or something we can receive back. I just pray that you would show us and reveal. And God, above all, I pray that you would help us be open and honest with ourselves. That if we are a problem, if we are the problem in our marriage, if we are the problem with our children, if we are the problem in our workplace, if we are the problem in any capacity in our lives where we have influence, that you would take the blinders off you would reveal to us exactly how it is, not so that we could feel bad, but that so that we could be better. We thank you, God, that this is not a, a guilt call, but it's a call to higher and greater because we know that you have called us to that, to be better and to be higher. So in Jesus' name, I thank you and I bless these people. I bless everyone in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.